Praise the Lord. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. What a good time of worship. It's great to see the next generation coming up, right? It's wonderful. It's, it's fantastic. We need to do that. Uh, and, and that is part of just what the mission of the church is. We've talked about it so many times. It doesn't really hurt to reiterate it. Uh, we have uh, a mission, know the word, spread the word, uh, live the word and spread the word. We have that hanging up everywhere. That's, uh, that's our mission and the vision is to be the church, which is Titus chapter one and two. I've preached on it more than once and that tells us the church is multicultural. Paul, the, the Jewish guy was talking to Titus, the Greek guy who was on the island of Crete with the Cretans. And, and hey, this is the church. It's everybody. Uh, all are one in Christ. I preached that a few weeks ago. And uh, beyond that, Titus 2 says, hey, you who are mature in the faith, pour into those who are younger. Let's mentor. So that's the, that's the vision of the church. We're multicultural. We're multigenerational. Our mission is to know God's word. It's to live his word and then share it. Spread it with others. Let's keep that up. We've entered into the Lenten season. I can't believe it. Uh, I had COVID and just it sort of just blew right by me. Didn't really even, you know, Fat Tuesday for me, I was just sleeping. I didn't have no Fat Tuesday. For me, it was Skinny Tuesday. I was losing weight uh, with COVID. Uh, but that's all behind me, and I'm grateful for that. And we're into the Lenten season. We're looking forward to uh, Easter Sunday next month. Next month is Easter, which is going to, next month's rolling around here Next Sunday is next month. So Easter is really coming up quick, and we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And as we approach that time, we are going to dig into God's Word and look at questions that were asked by Jesus. Now, if you read through the Gospels and some have done this, and they've numbered all the questions Jesus asked and say there's over 300 questions that Jesus asked. Now, I know some of those are reruns. They're repeats. The Gospel of Mark will tell you something about a question Jesus asked, and then maybe Matthew and Luke will touch on it, or John. It, it, you know, they're, uh, for example, Jesus, he asked once, who touched me? Who touched me? Well, that's in Mark's gospel. That's in Luke's gospel. So is that one question or is it two? Well, I count it as one because it's two gospel writers writing about the same event. Uh, if we count it as one, so there's less than 300 unique questions. Some have counted 173 unique questions by Jesus, others 135. You know, suffice it to say, Jesus asked a lot of questions. He asked a lot of questions. And often, uh, when he was asked a question, he answered with a question of his own. And this is, a, really, it's a great technique. Jesus was you know, probing the human psyche. He was provoking. He was challenging people to think and to, to 
come up with an answer. And uh, we find in this technique of asking uh, questions, it was a way to get uh, to elicit a response, be it uh, even a silent response, so much as walking away, but getting them thinking. And sometimes Jesus asked a question, he just left it open-ended. He didn't really, he didn't answer it. Other times he would ask a question, then he'd answer it. He'd provide an answer. He would uh, tell you what it was that he was getting at. And today I want to consider one of those types of questions, a question Jesus asked. And then he provided some insight into how it ought to be answered, how we ought to think about it. And it's a question that points to the resurrection. It's a question that points to Easter Sunday. And there's also other lessons in this question of Jesus. For us uh, today, there's other questions, or other uh, answers for us, other lessons beyond the resurrection, beyond Easter. And uh, the event of this question we're gonna touch on today is in three Gospels. It is in the Gospel of Mark and Matthew and Luke. Uh, so it's not three questions, it's one and uh, we're going to touch on it. I'm uh, going to begin in Mark chapter 8, uh, where Jesus poses this question. And to just give you a little context, a little background about uh, what led into this question of Jesus, uh, he was uh, in the region on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. They call it the Sea of Galilee. It's a big lake. Uh, he was in this region called the Decapolis, uh, 10 cities. Uh, there's 10 of them there on, the, on that eastern side, actually nine, one's on the west side uh, of the Jordan River, but they call it the Decapolis, the, the 10 cities. Jesus was doing some great things. He healed a deaf, uh, mute man, and uh, this man who couldn't hear or speak suddenly was enabled to hear and he spoke clearly. It was amazing, absolutely amazing. And people began to talk about it, wouldn't you? If you knew someone who couldn't talk, couldn't hear, and then someone comes along and they're there, they're healed up. Of course, it, a buzz started and Jesus said, please stop, don't talk about this. But the more he said, don't talk about it, the more they did. It's tough to keep a good story down. This was great news. And so it was not a secret. A large crowd gathered. Jesus began to teach them. Three days he taught them while they got hungry. Another amazing miracle. They only had a few fish and a few loaves of bread. Jesus fed the 4,000 people. He prayed over those morsels, that you know, minuscule provision, and it multiplied fed all the people. There were leftovers. Another amazing miracle. Of course, people are continuing to talk. The buzz is spreading. Jesus dismissed the people. He stepped in a boat back into the lake. He's going to the other side, the western shore. Uh, it's called the region of Damanthua, uh, on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. And that's where he is now in Mark chapter 8. This is where he is. He's on this western side. People are abuzz. Uh, perhaps some of them took a boat across the lake too. Uh, we know sometimes they ran around the coast and followed Jesus. 
We're going to pick up the account. It's Mark chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 11 to 13, this question that Jesus poses. He has just gotten off the boat uh, there on the, uh, the western coast. And uh, Mark 8 says the Pharisees came. The Pharisees, the leaders of the Jewish faith, uh, the legalistic leaders of the Jewish faith, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given it. Then he left them. He got back in the boat and he crossed to the other side. This is Mark's brief account. It's, uh, Mark is, uh, he he writes with brevity. He has the briefest gospel. He doesn't give us too many details. But Jesus had been performing these amazing, miraculous sign, signs. Word was spreading. We know that because he had been telling the people, please don't talk about it. We know that Jesus and his friends, they sailed across the sea. But 4,000 people had just been fed miraculously. They had been talking about this man who had been healed of uh, deaf muteness. They may have hiked around the coast again. Uh, that's, that, that is in the Gospels. That did occur uh, in a different situation. Uh, we don't know for sure if these Pharisees had heard about the miracle-working man, this guy called Jesus of Nazareth, but it sure seems likely because as soon as he gets off the boat, they are coming. The Pharisees come to test him. It says they came to test him. And they demanded a sign. Show us a sign from heaven. After all, all this miracle working, um, this guy making uh, the deaf person speak, feeding thousands with just a few things, surely if this is the guy, he can show us the sign. But what do we read in Mark? Mark does give us a detail about Jesus' demeanor. He sighs. Oh, he's exasperated. What? And he doesn't, he doesn't respond to them except with this question. Why does this generation ask for a sign? Yeah, I know Jesus was talking to that uh, generation in the first century uh, his time, his people. But that question, that question can span every single generation from then to today. We're living in a generation of skepticism. And that's, certain skepticism is okay. There is a healthy form of skepticism. Questioning isn't wrong seeking answers, seeking the truth. There's nothing wrong with that. And Acts chapter 17, verse 11, is a, a, a well-quoted scripture that speaks to that. And that little portion of scripture commends the Berean Jews, the Jews who were living in Berea, because they had heard the gospel. They had heard what this guy named Paul the apostle was preaching and they were commended, Acts 17, uh, verse 11, for examining the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. 
So the Bereans, they had a healthy skepticism. The book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 11, actually calls it noble. It says they have a noble character. They're seeking the truth. But then there's this cynical skepticism. And it seems that we encounter much, much more of that cynical skepticism. We encounter it more today in this day and age than we do noble skepticism. I I was recently watching a a video of a, a campus preacher. Preacher goes on college campuses and he just engages students. And a student confronted him about the resurrection. Prove to me that Jesus rose from the dead. This was the confrontation. Show me the proof, then I'll believe. Now, was this a sincere inquiry into the resurrection, or was it cynical? Well, this student's attitude obviously came across as cynical, and she went on to say, you can't prove it. It was 2,000 years ago. You're talking about some, somebody who lived 2,000 years ago and you say they rose from the dead. There's no way you can prove it. So the demand for proof, you know, show me something. The demand, it was given with an assumption. It'll never happen. You just can't do it. There's no way, preacher. There's no way you can show me proof, even though I'll sit here and say, well, I'll believe if you show me the proof. It was, it was with this cynical approach It wasn't noble. And you know, we can get that attitude. I can get that attitude. I've had that cynical attitude. And and today I could title this message, Dealing with Cynicism. You're dealing with these cynical skeptics, but also dealing with ourselves, dealing with myself, when I become cynical. And and what is cynical? Cynical is... uh, It's being distrustful, distrustful of others, and and then, of course, just not trusting God. And it has an attitude of really self-focusedness, all about me, and I'm not going to trust. I'm not even going to trust God, and that, you know, that can happen, and I'll admit it's happened to me where my trust in the Lord has waned. Like, where are you, God? What's going on here? And the Pharisees, the Pharisees have seemed uh, to have this sense of cynicism when they approach Jesus. Give me a sign. We don't trust you. We don't trust you or the guy across the lake healing and feeding people. Nope. Show us a sign from heaven. Miracle man, give us a miracle. They demanded it. Yet in their hearts, they didn't really believe They didn't believe they would see a sign. And what if they did? What if Jesus did do some great miracle? You know what? I believe they would have said, well, that's not from heaven. Because that's what they did in other episodes with Jesus. Mark says this was a test. This was a test. You know, if you come to test God, it's cynical. You don't have a heart of humility. You're, you're not coming there humble and trusting. Uh-uh. This was a test. And it was not a sincere coming to Jesus to say, are you, are you really sent from God? I need to know. I'm struggling with this. No, it was a test. 
And, and we know that the Pharisees and other episodes where they accused Jesus of performing miracles by the power of Satan. Oh, it's by the power of Be- Beelzebub that you're doing all these things. It's not God. Oh, and hey, you heal. You heal on the Sabbath day, you lawbreaker. You're not from God. They had answers for everything. So their demand, it it wasn't really with sincerity, this demand for a sign, the demand, I need to see something, be it in the first century with uh, Jesus, be it from the 21st century today. It's often, often, it's a cynical demand. It's not from a place of a noble heart. It's not from a heart, even with just a little sliver of faith, that's truly seeking And then sometimes we might fall into that cynical place. You know, where are you, Jesus? Where are you in my situation? You know, I need a miracle. You know I need a miracle. I need my sign. You're, you know, the word. I I got your Bible here, Lord. I got it. It's full of all these miracles and great things. Where's my miracle? Where is it? And you know what? We forget We forget we live in a fallen, broken world full of sin. And yes, there's pain in the world. There's suffering and there's injustice. And it affects everyone. The word of God says it rains on the righteous and the wicked. It comes down on everyone. And we forget the words of Jesus. Jesus who said, in this world, you'll have trouble. That's his words. John chapter 16 And we forget Jesus who said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. Uh Uh-uh, no, I don't want to take up my cross daily. Jesus, give me my miracle. Help me out. Take care of me. I need to walk on water. Come on. Where are you? Take up your cross and follow me, Luke chapter 9. See, Jesus, though, he does invite us to pray. He said, ask, seek, Knock. He, he invites us to pray, but to come with some sincerity and to seek with a sincere heart and a noble heart. And, and sometimes he'll intervene and, and he will do miracles. Miracles still occur. But, but in the thick of the pain, cynicism can creep in. It, we just sung a song that said, oh, oh, the night has been won. You know, when you're in that dark, deep night, can you say the night has been won? I shall overcome, yet not I, but through Christ in me? I mean, Jesus said when he, when he said, you know, you're gonna have trouble in the world, he continued on, he said, but I've overcome the world. He offered this promise. I've overcome the world. Connect with me. Yes, you might have pain. It might hurt. I've overcome. You can too. Even when we're dealing with the world of trouble. So that's the end of John chapter 16. It's verse 33. Jesus is ready to go to the cross at that point. And he's saying, yeah, you're gonna have trouble. But you can overcome And to the cynical skeptic, to the person whose heart isn't noble, the person who sees the power of Christ as nothing, 
What does Jesus do? He sighs deeply. Ah, I say to you, no sign will be given. You demand a sign. No, I'm not doing it. So what do we do? What do we do when we're in such a place where our attitude might get like that? Or what do we do when we have someone who confronts us? Hey, where's your Jesus? Where's your miracle man? What do we do when we deal with the, how do we deal with the cynical skeptic? Well, we can look at this event in, a, in the other gospels and we can learn a little bit more. Uh, this event is also uh, recorded in the gospels of Luke and Matthew and they give us a few more details. And from those details, we can learn more. We can learn how to deal with some of the cynical stuff that occurs. And I want to look at Matthew chapter 12, uh, this incident, the same incident, and, and Matthew gives us a few more details. So let's look at it. Let's check it out. It's Matthew 12, and it's verses 38 to 41. And uh, again, Jesus, uh, or it's recorded, it says, then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, so they're coming to him, these Pharisees, these experts, these hypocrites, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Jesus answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given. Now some more details. None will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus, greater than Jonah. And and hear the response uh, from Jesus. It's, It's not necessarily in the form of a question. As Mark put it, Mark put it, why does this generation ask for a sign and it's an exasperated Jesus. He's, he's like sighing deeply. In Matthew, we feel the same tension. And Jesus minced no words in this record. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. None will be given. Can you feel the, can you feel the tension? And, and then Matthew gives us more detail. No sign except for the prophet Jonah. And what does they got to do with that? There are several things we can learn and we can uh, take from this about dealing with uh, cynical attitudes or cynical people. One is that Jesus confirmed Jonah was an authentic prophet. Jesus, he authenticated prophecy in general. You know, there was all these prophets that had come before him. Jesus is pointing back. You, You don't believe them. You should You're not listening to what they had to say. You should. And then about the specific man, Jonah, Jesus authenticated him specifically. You know, in the grand scope of the Old Testament, grab a hold of your Old Testament. Jonah's like an insignificant, almost like just kind of hardly of a mention in the Old Testament. Jonah is four short chapters. It totals 48 verses. There's Psalms in, in the book of Psalms that double that. There are way more than 48 verses, just one Psalm. The entire book of Jonah's 48 verses. 
And there's not much detail there. We don't really learn much about the man's life. The end, the end of Jonah, it's a cliffhanger. I want more. Jonah is just, he's left depressed, angry at God. We really don't know how it all turned out. I really want to know more, but it's just, it ends. But Jesus says, this is true. This account was real. And Jesus also mentioned Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. Jesus confirmed the episode. It's not just some some story that's fictitious. It's not some you know analogy or something that you know didn't. It's not a parable that didn't happen. No, Jesus said this happened. Jonah was in the belly of a huge fish three days and nights. Jesus confirmed this incredible account of this man being swallowed by a fish and living to tell about it. Jesus is telling us this is a credible prophet, a credible account. Yet skepticism about it abounds. You bring up Jonah, just bring up Jonah out in the public. You'll get ridiculed. Oh, some guy got swallowed by a whale and lived, really? Hey, you know what? The Bible never mentioned a whale. You can just start there, you just really gently. I don't know, my Bible never mentions a whale. Everybody talks about a whale that doesn't, it just says a big fish, a great fish. But people ridicule it. They peel it apart. Uh, but Jesus said it happened. And so we, I trust that. We should trust that. And up until that moment in time, I don't know what people thought. I don't know what the Pharisees thought or any of the experts thought about, well, this account of Jonah, what does it mean? But then Jesus, he told everyone what it means. This is an image of Christ. It's an image of uh, being in the belly of the earth. You know, Jonah was in the depth, in the darkness, in the stink of the fish, entombed in the belly of the fish. Jesus made it clear that experience of Jonah was a sign about Jesus, a sign of his death, his entombment, and then his resurrection after three days and three nights. So Jonah points to Jesus, the Messiah. Jonah points to Easter, but there's more for us. There's more. As much as it is important that Jesus corroborates Jonah and all that occurred to him, and he explained, hey, this is an image of what's going to occur to me. Verse 41, it's equally important, if not more important to us as individuals. Verse 41 says, the men of Nineveh will stand up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is saying, I'm greater than Jonah. I am the living Messiah. I'm here. And if you're unfamiliar with what the book of Jonah is all about in those 48 short verses, uh, and, and, and then we can just touch on that and see you know, how Jesus was way greater than it. Jonah was called by God. He was called by God. Jonah was this guy in, uh, in Israel, and God said, hey, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, preach against it. They're wicked. They need to hear, they need to hear about repentance. And what did Jonah do? He went and he bought a ticket on a ship to go the opposite direction in the Mediterranean Sea, a ship going to Spain. 
And, and then a big storm blew up on the, on the sea. Jonah told the crew, hey, throw me overboard. It's me. It's, I'm the reason. Well, reluctantly, they, they didn't really want to do it, but they tossed him in the sea. The raging sea calmed down. And then a great fish swallowed Jonah. He was stuck in the belly of the fish, and he cried out to God. He cried out. It's a great prayer. And God heard his prayer. And after three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, the, the, the fish belched Jonah up on dry ground. This is amazing. And once again, Jonah heard from God, go to Nineveh, preach against the city. You know, this time Jonah was obedient. You know, think about it. I think I would be obedient too. I don't know if you remember the scene. I remember the scene from the movie Jaws. That, was a, that movie came out as a little kid, and I remember seeing it in this movie. It was, you know, just shocking, but the one scene I really remember, it's not the, the, the shark eating everybody up. It's Richard Dreyfuss gutting this tiger shark, and he's opening it up, and he keeps going, oh, he cuts it, and it's like, oh, it stinks. It's terrible. The gut, he's like, oh, this thing was down, it was in the southern waters. He pulled out a license plate from Louisiana. And he's just gagging. And then finally he pushes himself away. You just, you can almost smell it. That scene just, you, you, you can smell how terrible it is. And Jonah was in the digestive tract of, of fish. Oh, how awful, how it must have stunk. And, and the brine, and, and oh, I don't know what his skin looked like or anything, but he, of course he was obedient. I'm like, yeah, yes, Lord, I'm not, I don't want to go through that again. And here he is, he's on dry land. We don't know exactly where the fish spit him up, but Nineveh is hundreds of miles from the coast of the Mediterranean. Jonah's got some time. He's got some time to clean up, deal with the stink, meditate on the message he's going to bring to this city, and then when he arrived, what happened? He got to the city. And you can read about it. Again, very short book. He performed these great miracles. He captured the attention of Nineveh. No, that's not what happened. He, he did not multiply loaves and fishes. He didn't heal deaf, mute people. He didn't perform any miracles. None, nothing. What did he do? He preached. Jonah just brought the word of God. A humbled man. Humbly came in 40 days, he said. 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites heard. The Ninevites didn't test Jonah. They weren't cynical, show us a sign. No, they just heard, they received, they repented the king made a proclamation. Let everyone call urgently upon God. Give up your evil ways. Give up your violence. And God saw the sincerity of the hearts of the Ninevites, the sincerity of their repentance, their noble hearts that weren't demanding a sign. They weren't testing God. They just turned in genuine repentance. And God relented and he did not do anything but save them. They were saved. And this is the point Jesus is driving at. You want a sign? You want a miracle? Why does this generation ask for a sign? You've got everything already. None will be given. 
Jonah didn't bring up a sign or a wonder or a miracle. He just brought God's word. Know the word. Live the word. And didn't, didn't invite, they're not demanding proof. Humbled themselves, received the word of God. They were saved. You compare that, you compare Nineveh and the book of Jonah to Egypt and the book of Exodus. You know, what did the Egyptians have? They had sign after sign after sign after sign. Water uh, turned to blood. They had land covered with frogs and locusts and, and uh, hail and flies. They had darkness. All of their livestock died. They had painful boils, sign after sign of God's power. And what did they do? Harden their hearts. The hard hearts got harder in Egypt with all the great signs and wonders. Jesus, he once told a, 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 an account of a rich man who died. The rich man was dead, suffering in torment in the afterlife, in agony. And the man cried out, hey, someone tell my five brothers, warn them. And the man was told, no, your brothers have Moses and the prophets to warn them. Hey, that's our Old Testament. You know what they have? They got the word of God. They have the word of God to warn them. And the rich man didn't receive it. He's like, no, send someone from the grave if they see a dead man walking. Hey, if they see this awesome, wonderful sign, this great miracle, then they'll believe. And here's the answer. This is what Jesus, in recounting this incident, here's the words of Jesus. Luke 16, verse 31. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets... If they don't listen to the word of God, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead because their hearts are cynical. People want signs. They demand proof. Prove to me that Jesus rose from the dead. Then I'll believe. How do we respond? How should we respond? You've got God's word. Respond with God's word and don't beat someone over the head with it. That's not what it's about. It's not about smacking them in the head with the Bible and proving you're smarter than them or something. You don't come from this lofty place of superiority. That was Jonah's problem. Jonah, you know, he thought he was better than the Ninevites. He didn't want to go. Like, I'm not going to that pagan city. He didn't want to go to the pagan city. And he ran. Why should I go to that city that's, you know, they don't honor God, they don't come to the temple, they're nothing. I'm not going. He ran. His problem was he thought he was better than them. But he went to Nineveh, a humbled man. God humbled him. And what did he do? He just brought the word of God. With the cynical you know, with, with somebody who has a hard heart, with somebody who's demanding these kinds of things, be humble. Share God's word with humility. Speak the truth in love. And if we get cynical, if we lose our trust, if we begin to get into this place where we're just not trusting God, we're not trusting the Lord, and we begin to put demands on him, like, Lord, show me where you at. Prove it. We start to test him. 
remember the words of Jesus. You have a sign. You've got a great sign. You've got an amazing, wonderful sign. You've got the sign of Jonah. But someone greater than Jonah is here. He was in the belly of the earth three days and three nights. He rose from the dead. He's alive. Trust that. Now Jonah just, he just brought the word of God. No miracles, no spectacular signs. We've got the sign. We have it. We don't need to put demands on God. Even when we're in that place of hurting, it's not the time to demand the miracle. No, just be humble. Repent. Be sincere. Be noble. Get back into God's word. Turn from, turn from that heart of distrust to a heart of trust. Trust him with everything. I know it's hard, but he's, he says, trust me with your life. And be assured that even, even though you have trouble in this world, that with Jesus, you can overcome. The night can be won. We can overcome. Yet not I, but Christ in me. I don't know. I don't know if there's anyone here, and you, you just you, you're not there yet. You don't have Christ in you. You haven't really turned to that. Today's today's a day to do that. To to turn your heart to Him. You don't demand proof. Trust that He died for you. He gave His life to repair the sin issue, the separation from God. He did it for you. He died for you and He rose from the dead and He's alive. He will make intercession for you. But you've got to trust Him. You have to have that little sliver of faith. Your heart's got to have some softness. Not totally hard, not totally cynical. Let, let's stand and pray. And, and if any of us are even in that place where maybe we just, it's been difficult lately to trust God. It's been hard to trust him because life has just it's taken a turn to some place we never expected it. We didn't think we'd be there. It's painful. It's hard. Your night can be won. To take, uh, take the time right now just to say, I'm going to put my life in your hands. I am going to trust you. I know it can turn out even though it's raining on me and it rains on the righteous and the wicked. God, I know, I know I will. Help me, help me to get back to that place of trust. Father, in the name of Jesus, if there's anyone here, anyone here who's never just given their life to Jesus to trust him fully and completely, I'm asking God by the by the grace of the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ, that you'd meet that heart, you would convince that heart to just turn in humble repentance like the Ninevites who said, wow, wow, it just, uh, we didn't really realize our, our, our wickedness and our, our violence, that we're gonna turn to God in humility and ask him to help and to save us. God, anyone in here who's, uh, who's turning that heart or anyone who's listening, turning that heart, God, meet them. God, pour your grace upon them. God, may they feel that river of grace and just want to immerse and swim in it, God. I just pray that in Jesus' name. And Lord, Lord, for any of us who've called on you as Lord and Savior for a week, a year, years, a lifelong, God, if gotten to that place where you know, it's just been difficult to trust you for whatever reason. Work, finances, kids, life, boss, 
neighborhood, work, school, something's causing us a hurt, a pain, and we're just, we're not trusting you like we should. Maybe our heart's getting a little hard. God help us right now to be, to have that, that noble Acts 1711 heart. Help us to have that Ninevite heart to just turn to you, God, and say we're sorry. Help us. Help us get help us have that sliver of faith grow to a, a big root of faith, God, and just trust you with our lives. God, I just pray that for anyone here who needs that, Lord. Wash over them, help them to leave here fully, fully trusting you. May your grace be abundant. May the testimonies be real, God, that you've done this. We give it to you, Father. We give it to you all in the name of our Lord and Savior, the one who overcame for us, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.